reflections on his first two years and why he wants to go back to Washington, growth in Crossville, what are the challenges, what are the opportunities. From News Talk 94.1 and Lake Rock 95.9, your chance to hear where the candidates stand, their background, their interests, election 2020. Meet the candidates. It is the Wednesday night edition of Meet the Candidates as we count down to Tuesday and Election Day all across the Upper Cumberland. Tonight, we'll look at the election in Crossville as two seats are available on the Crossville City Council. The incumbents, Scott Shanks and J.H. Graham III. The challengers, Ralph Reagan and R.J. Crawford. We'll also go one-on-one with John Rose. Rose wants to return to Washington to represent the 6th District in Congress. Our countdown to Election Day continues as we bring you the men and women who want to represent the Upper Cumberland. We begin tonight with the race for the Crossville City Council. There are two seats available next Tuesday. Among those running, the incumbent is Scott Shanks. You have been part of the Crossville City Council. Why do you want another term? Well, there is, I feel like there's a lot of unfinished business. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed my time being on City Council. I've enjoyed the people I've served with, and I certainly enjoy uh, trying to make things better for citizens of Crossville. But we do have a lot of a lot of things that, that I feel like are unfinished. Uh, currently, we're working on trying to do a, a rec center and uh, – I feel really strongly this would be a real positive thing for Crossville, and that's probably one of the biggest reasons I'd like to stay on city council is to try to see that through and uh, and get that project through. It's uh, anything that you do at the government level, it just takes a it takes a long time, but it's something I really would like to see happen. Can you point to some of the biggest things you have learned uh, as being on the council? As far as things I've learned. Um, I guess really is patience. Uh, as I previously said, it takes longer to get things, projects going than what I'm used to. I was in the business world for almost 30 years and was able to make things happen fairly quickly. And government, it doesn't work that way. There's a process, and um, but it's there for a reason. And so I, I guess that would be the biggest thing I've learned. Uh, it's, it's, it's just having to have patience and being able to, uh, to make changes. Uh, but it, it, like I said, that's that's the way that's the way it's been designed. What does your business background help you in, in in terms of serving as a council member? Well, I personally feel like being on city council is no different than a board of directors for a company. And it, we we hired a city manager uh, just well three and a half years ago. He's done an excellent job. Um, that's one of the big issues we've had in our city is going through city managers. We've been through so many over the years and just trying to get some stability. And I feel like we have a very stable uh, council and we have had one and, and I want to help to keep it that way. To that point, it seems as though over the last several years that city government in Crossville has been run more as a business and the personality conflicts and the things that take you away from governing are not there. Am I reading that correctly? Oh, definitely. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons I ran. Uh, I wanted uh, it. I was frustrated and uh, I I just felt like we've got to, we've got to try to uh, make Crossville look a little better. And, And we weren't looking good to others. And so I'm really glad to be a part of that, but it's not just me. I mean, we, all the people that are on city council, I think they've done an excellent job and we certainly have a good mayor and, and, and we have so, so many good, you know, the, the employees of the city, they do a great job. And so it, it's a team effort and uh, I'm a very small part of that, but yes, it's just, and, and there's no micromanaging. There's no need for that. We have a city manager that runs things and, and have all the department heads. They do a great job. So um, being on city council is not a difficult thing to do um we have to we have to know what our role is and stay within our role and i feel like we have a city council that does that is that role really thinking more long term about the vision absolutely that that's what i think it's 
totally about. So much of what comes before city council are things that are housekeeping items that have to happen all the time. You know, anything that's over $5,000 uh, as far as spending typically has to come before city council. And, and there's, uh, but, but there are things where we're looking to the future. And I feel like we have, uh, you know, city manager, city engineer, others that are bringing things to the, the council as far as looking forward. You know, we're looking forward, uh, looking forward now as far as for uh, raising this, the uh, city lake dam. But that takes a long time to do that. That could be easily five years down the road before that even happens. But you have to start very early in getting that done. Uh, just like I mentioned the city uh, rec part or the, the the city rec facility that that I'm interested in and you know that's something that it just takes time to get these things done so we're always having to look down the road and obviously there's limitations because there's only a certain amount of money that we are able to uh to use and and uh currently we're looking at uh refinancing a lot of bonds and we're doing that to really to help us out for doing other projects in the future get our payments down to a point where we're able to do other things. Uh, a lot of that's more in the water area, but still uh, in the general fund area also. Uh, I, I really am big. A big thing for me is doing things to help the perception of Crossville. Uh, I feel like doing uh, having a vibrant downtown, which we have a pretty good downtown, but I think it could be better, and, and things that we can do to help the downtown, because if we have a vibrant downtown, then the perception is, Crossville is really a good place because when people are driving through and so forth, they see that. And so um, that's that's really more the direction I'm always looking for, and certainly long term. And really, with basically any decision I make, and I think I said this four years ago, is I'm thinking of kids. When I'm making decisions, I'm looking at our kids and trying to make things better for them, um, and and being able to keep them in Crossville. Hopefully, having uh, more jobs available to keep our youth here and not having to leave Crossville uh, to to have their, uh, you know, to, for the jobs for, that they are looking for. Hopefully have those jobs here in Crossville. To that point, Scott Shanks, what role does city council play in the whole economic development of a community? Well, I don't think we play as big a role as some people think because you're always getting the questions about certain grocery stores and certain <laughs> businesses and wanting to bring them here and so forth. And we can try to help make that happen. We, we're not the ones that make that happen. I feel like just bringing, having companies, new companies come to Crossville, I feel like it's a lot of the other things that I've been talking about that I've been mentioning that help to do that. You know, having a vibrant downtown and having a, you know, a good airport, which we've come a long ways with our airport. And, and because Let's face it, if somebody's coming into Crossville looking to bring a, a company to Crossville, where's the first place they're going to see? Probably our airport. And uh, so it's very important to have a good airport. And, and fortunately, we've come a long ways in that in just the last couple of years. So um, it's. I, I feel like in the past we've lost some opportunities because our city council was not working maybe together as good as they could and also working with the county. And working with the chamber, and I think right now we have a we have a city council, we have a county commission, we have a chamber of commerce, and we have a school board that I think are really working together. We all, I mean, it just seems like everybody is wanting uh, the same things, and that's just a better place to live. And I feel like uh, nothing but good things can happen from that. And all of these things you're talking about would also seem to be fuel for another economic driver and that is tourism well that's true and and tourism is is very big in in crossville and and um you know being the golf capital and something that we're starting here soon that we're that that's uh uh is is a disc golf we're getting disc golf courses uh that's just something very recent and uh but there's so many you know other things as far as all the, the trails we have such a uh, we have a gentleman in uh, Fairfield, John Conrad, that's done such an incredible job of creating trails around Cumberland County, and he's doing now doing these in Crossville, and just is a so good at rallying the troops to come out and volunteer and help build these trails. And we have helped with some money uh, that he's needed for this, but it's not been a ton. So 
you know, we're having, we've got new bike trails that are out starting at the state park that we've been involved with. We've got the shooting park. So there's, there's a lot of things that, that have been happening. And I just feel like these things will continue. And it's not the city that does these. It's people. People have these things that they're wanting to do. We just don't need to be getting in their way. And, uh, and we need to assist when we can. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for the future of CrossFit. I really am. Finally, Scott, if uh, someone is headed to the ballot box here in a couple of days and they're going to cast a ballot, why should you be one of those they vote for for Crossville City Council? To be honest, we um, I would love to serve again. I've enjoyed it. But we've got four people running this time, all four good people. I know them all. They're all good. And uh, so I, I just think that why am I any better than anyone else? I don't know that I am. I, I'm, uh, I care about Crossville. I think they do too. Uh, I have a lot of the business experience. Some of them have business experience. They all have different experiences. And so I feel like regardless, honestly, who wins, uh, Crossville is going to be fine. Uh, we're, we're, um, we got some good people that are running. And so I'm, I'm excited for that. I, I don't really, I wish I, I'm not real good at at um, beating my own horn. I, I don't, and I just, I, I don't, um, I don't know that I have anything any greater. I have, I do have a little experience, but sometimes I think too much experience is. is uh, I like it when there's people that don't have as much experience getting on. We need those fresh ideas, and that's something I really like seeing. And also, would love for you know, I'm running. This is this is the, my set would be my second term if I'm elected. This will be it for me. Uh, I, I won't run again. And uh, I don't, I think it's good to have other people running. And I really would love to see some younger people running. I think it'd be very good to have that because uh, we need those ideas. We don't need five people on city council that all think alike. You need people that think differently. And uh, I would personally would love to see that. Scott Shanks, one of the incumbents for the Crossville City Council. The other incumbent on Tuesday's ballot. J.H. Graham III, why would you like to return to the council? Well, that's a wonderful question. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is that uh, I feel like if you have the ability to serve the community, that it's your responsibility to, reserve, to, to, to serve. And also, I feel like it's your duty to serve. I've got 22 years of experience and. I love working for the city of the Crossville and our community, and it's just a great honor and privilege to do so. How does experience help you in this job? Well, the city of Crossville is the largest service delivery system in the county, as you can imagine. We have an $18 million budget uh, in the general fund and about a $12 million budget in the water and sewer fund for about a $30 million business. Uh, it has over 180 employees, and my experience in my accounting practice and some other things that I've done, along with my experience with the city, makes me feel like that uh, I can serve my community as well as I have in the past and will in the future. You mentioned the term business, and in watching and listening to council meetings over the years, I get the sense that that's kind of how you approach decision-making. Is that fair? It is fair because we have to match the sources of our revenue to what needs to be done. Uh, we have several capital projects in the city of Crossville right now that need, uh, need watching and caring for in a business-like manner. Several years ago, in 1981, while I was on the Planning Commission, we designed road projects in the city uh, that would cover the perimeters where people could get back and forth to work, that they could get to school on time. And, and it's very important to me that you can get to work on time, of course, and the way you do that is with a great road system. And uh, the Northwest Connector... Uh, which has been going on for several years. We've completed Section 2 or uh, Section 1. We're working on Section 2. And Section 3 is the road between 127 and Genesis, 
which I hope to be called Restaurant Row in the future. One of the areas, as it relates also to infrastructure, is making sure that Crossville has access to water long-term. Are you optimistic about what you see in, in terms of the planning for that? Well, we sure are. They've called me the water man of Crossville for 20 years. And the reason is, and you can look at Atlanta or Birmingham to see what kind of a water situation that they have, but we have to have, because we don't have a large river in Crossville, we have to have uh, resources which would include a reservoir. As you know, we have Lake Holiday and uh, Meta Park Lake to draw from, but we are designing our infrastructure in Crossville to take care of 100,000 people in this community. And doing so, water is a must. That's why we must raise Meta Park Lake in the near future so that we can provide for that. One of the issues that uh, has been talked about a lot in the last several months and is continuing to gain steam is recreational opportunities and, and really more of a plan of where we're going to go with recreation. What are your ideas, J.H., in that area? Well, the master plan has been updated for over 20 years to include baseball, softball facilities, soccer facilities. As you know, we've just built the splash pad for recreational purposes. That's been a wonderful addition, but it's now time to look at an indoor, uh, an indoor facility, uh, which would include um, uh, indoor swimming, uh, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. But what we want to do is match resources and the ability for those we believe that people that use what we have have to pay for them. So we're trying to match what we can do as far as these capital improvements to what we believe people will pay for and what the city can afford. Is Crossville doing everything that it can to maximize tourism as a tax resource? Isn't that a wonderful question? Uh, we've been in the tourism business since the mid-60s. Cosby Harrison started us off in 1958 with, with uh, Lake Tansy. Do you know that tourism in Cumberland County amounted to $132 million in direct tourism expense, uh, expenditures last year? And what that means is, it creates 1,095 jobs in 2019 and produced $30 million in payroll. What tourism means for this industry, these industries in Crossville is we expect more jobs to come in. One of the things that I keep harping about is tourism and retiree recruitment. And there are 10 thousand people a day retiring in the United States every day, and that will continue for the next 15 years. We want those folks to give Crossville an opportunity to serve them. J.H. Graham III is one of the candidates for the Crossville City Council. Do you like the way that the council is working together currently and also uh, with the city leaders, but also with county leaders? Well, what a wonderful question. Uh, as you probably knew, uh, we have had councils in the past that did not get along very well, and uh, it caused a great deal of anxiety for us. That is over with. I enjoy coming to the council meeting. We've got some great men on the city council right now. Great women have been on the city council. Pam Harris was one of our best ones. And I just must tell you, it's a privilege and honor to serve with those gentlemen. If someone is headed uh, to their precinct to vote next week, why should they cast their ballot for you? Well, I really appreciate that. Um, I, have a, I have great experience. I have a great love for my community. And it's I have the time to do it. Uh, I'm in semi-retirement right now, and, and I've got plenty of time to work for the city, and I feel like I can do a great job working for the city and the city taxpayers. You know, we want to be sure 
that we keep property taxes low. Uh, in 30 years ago, we had about approximately $50 million of assessed property in the city of Crossville. It would not surprise me to find out next January that we have $500 million worth of assessed property. And what that means is you can reduce the property taxes from a dollar and 70 cents like it was 30 years ago to keep taxes in the mid-50s. And that's what we've been doing for the last 20 years. J.H. Graham III, one of the candidates for Crossville City Council. J.H., we appreciate the time very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. There are two challengers in the race for the Crossville City Council. One of those is R.J. Crawford. The other is Ralph Reagan. Ralph Reagan, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Why are you seeking a seat on the Crossville City Council? Well, there's several reasons, but uh, one of the reasons is that we all, I guess, have visions and ideals of what our city should do. And uh, my vision is going out into different avenues than some of the other visions that the other men have, but uh, still they're the visions that uh, I believe will help grow the city and uh, bring us together with uh, the county and the city together where we can work uh, parallel with each other. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what brought you to this point in your life? Well, I've been working in the city of Crossville here in Cumming County for uh, for uh, over 32 years altogether. I was pastor at First Baptist Church, and I just saw the need going on on the outside. And it needed to be uh, uh, taken care of in a lot of ways. So I moved out and started a ministry to where we could help people uh, to find the people, get into homes and and to help furnish and do different things for people to be able to help them get into jobs and housing. And so I saw a lot of avenues to be able to do that, and then I saw a lot of blockage in a lot of different ways. uh, So I wanted to try to bring down the barriers between each other before we could be able to help each other in a better perspective in our lives. From that perspective, as communities grow, and Crossville is certainly growing, uh, those needs, human service needs, become more acute. What is the city's role in, in trying to protect those more vulnerable parts of the population? Well, the population is that a lot of the times here that we have now, especially the impecunious, uh, there's not too many avenues for them. And that's, and they are, of course, a part of this city just as much as anyone else who has. And the needs are really greater. And, of course, we got more people coming in, as you say. We have people from all over. Matter of fact, I just seen uh, where uh, they're selling more real estate here now in Cumming County than it's unreal. It's just what's coming in. The influxation that's coming in, the jobs will be needed more and more for these people for people who are looking for jobs. And uh, we don't have the jobs right now to even fill for the people that we have here in Crossville right now. We also have a real health problem, and I'm on the board of directors there at the health department, and we need to get together before we can be able to see to the needs and uh, help with the health uh, needs of the community. But uh, there are so many areas that we could be working on to be able not to just push it back on the back burner, but to come together and see these needs. That, uh, But uh, we really need to be able to have a city council that will be able to take care of each other's needs in that area. Related to health, one of the areas where Crossville is, is doing a lot of work right now and planning for the future uh, is recreation. Do you like the emphasis that's going on right now to to kind of create a master plan for the future in that area? Well, the outside recreation is doing so well here in Crossville. We have trails that's beyond anything. We have we we are called a golf capital of Tennessee. We have all that. We also have parks and recreation all around us. We have a 
parks are the garrison parks. We have the other parks where people can come. But one of the areas that I I started working on over uh, three years ago was an indoor park system to where we could have uh, indoor uh, facilities. And that's one thing that we're liking in the city and uh, in the Cumming County as an indoor facility for that. But uh, I implemented a program over three years ago to the city council, some of the members there, to show them that uh, that is a real needed uh, uh, to be able to take care, I guess you could say, the recreational uh, needs of, of uh, the city and, uh, and Cumming County, too. And that's something that's being talked about right now, so I'm assuming that you'd like to see that move forward. I would love to see it move forward with the issue of uh, the cost. We need to be able to make sure that the cost will not be uh, implemented in on uh, taxes to where the taxes would be so raised so high that some of the people, especially the elder people and uh, the people who can could not afford it, it will be a burden on them. We don't want to. We don't need to. We need to look at other avenues to be able to get the resources for the money and not borrow or uh, to be able to uh, uh, especially put too much of a burden on the people who don't have the money to pay the taxes now. To that point, Ralph Reagan, how do you examine uh, expenditures and potential growth opportunities and that sort of thing? How do you how do you look at those things and try to make the best decision for the people of Crossville? For the growth, you mean, and for the uh, jobs? Just just anything. If, you know, something comes across well, your desk that you have to evaluate. How do you try to do that? One of the, one of the issues we have is is we in the growth in, in Crossville. Of course, I've I've uh, I've already mentioned that the jobs are few here, and the jobs are not opening up as they should be. I believe that we need to find make sure that there's new businesses coming into Crossville. There's businesses that's wanting to move out of the bigger areas now and move into lower, I mean, the, the smaller places. Right now, we have an opportunity to, to grab these, uh, these industrials and these businesses that wants to move here. One guy told me we have, we don't have the restaurant facilities that we need here. Restaurants are wanting to move in here. There's other programs that wants to move in here to be able to help and we've got to see to it that we can get the, the ones that need to come here, and you need to work it out in that way to where we can see more job growth plus more business growth. And with that said, uh, there's, that would bring more income in for the businesses and stuff to be able to help with the indoor facilities like a life center. But uh, we also need to be working to where we can be able, with the health of Crossland Common County, in a way that we can be able to accept the uh, responsibility through the health department and through the hospitals and the other places here to be able to come together to see the hot spots on these on the COVID nineteen, the other issues that's going on, to where we can put a damper on uh, some of the things that's going through, especially into the to the virus that we've been handling. And I believe if we have a, a point in our place in life before we take care of that, then the other people will see that we're really interested in bringing people here to work and keep them safe. Finally, Ralph Reagan, is there something about your experiences, about your outlook that you believe is unique to the group of candidates for these city council seats? The men that are running, I don't know one of the men, but uh, I will say this. I believe that uh, it's it's really sad that we run for an office and we've lived here in Crossville for so long, but still we don't we're, we don't think about helping people until the election year. But at the election year, when it still comes open, we want to help. We want to bring businesses in. We want to do this and we want to do that to help the people. But we've never done it since we've been living here. And I don't understand that perspective of a man running for office. I believe a man running for office, he should be living here. He should be uh, anchored in Cumming County and Crossville. He needs to be a, a, a resident of Crossville for a period of a long period of time. And he should know our culture and he should know the people that live here and what we're looking for for the future. One of the candidates for the Crossville City Council as we head to the polls. 
Ralph Rakin. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective today. Thank you, and God bless. Meet the Candidates continues from News Talk 94.1 and Light Rock 95.9 as we count down to Election Day. Let's sit down with John Rose. Rose has spent the last two years serving the 6th District, including the Upper Cumberland, in the United States Congress. And now he wants to return to Washington, representing District 6. You know, I was thinking as we were preparing that it, it almost is hard to believe that it's been two years since we first sat down and did this discussion. Has it gone that fast for you? It it really has. Uh, the last uh, two years have just been a whirlwind, so it's really hard to believe. But it's been uh, very interesting and very fulfilling, and hopefully uh, uh, I feel like we've done a good job for the people of the 6th District of Tennessee. What would you say are some of the biggest learnings that you have had over those two years? Well, uh, regretfully, one of the things probably that's been a real eye-opening experience for me is the degree to which the majority controls uh, what happens in the House of Representatives. Uh, I probably had never really uh, had a reason to ponder that, but uh, Nancy Pelosi as uh, as Speaker of the House and leader of the majority uh, uh, Democrats in the House, uh, she controls the agenda. She controls what we discuss, what we vote on. Uh, whether or not we can amend the bills that come to the floor and 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 really every other every other aspect of how the house operates and so uh that has been a that has been a, quite a stark learning experience for me how much of your job as uh, serving this region is about uh, working on issues and problems that people have it it is a it is a very big part of the job uh, as many people know my uh, our chief of staff is uh, former Congressman Van Hillary, and Congressman Hillary told me early on, he said, John, I know that you probably won't believe this until you've been in office for a while, but the the most gratifying part of this job will be uh, the things that you do that seem like small things at the time, but solving, uh, the you know, but are solving real problems that constituents that residents of the 6th District have that they bring to us and we're able to intervene on their behalf. Uh, before the various agencies of the federal government and help them solve their problems. And that is very true. And so um, lots of times people wonder why members of Congress have uh, staffs and, uh, and you know, the number of people helping. And that's because there are a lot of issues that arise, uh, you know, each day that, that we're able to help intervene for folks and solve their problems. And it can be something as simple as obtaining a passport in a timely fashion to uh, you know more you know more critical issues like helping a veteran receive the benefits that they need and that they've earned from their service to this country and and so we we have seen that indeed I've learned that lesson already and and uh, uh, we're happy to work hard every day to try to solve problems not every problem are we able to solve the the bureaucracy is uh, difficult to navigate as many people have have learned the hard way but uh, very often we are able to intervene and help help people get to the solution that they need. John Rose is our guest on Meet the Candidates. If you were to point to some things that uh, you're proud of uh, that you've accomplished during these two years, what, w- what would they be? Well, that's a very good question. And I think, you know, I ran uh, on the, uh, I guess, platform of taking Tennessee values to Washington, helping to get Washington out of t- Tennessee and, and one of the ways in which I believe that I've been working to accomplish that is by helping to support the president. Uh, it's it's difficult to point to legislative wins when you're in the minority, because as I mentioned early on, as we started the interview, the the majority controls the agenda, so it's hard to get legislation before the House. But we, you know, we did succeed in getting uh, uh, one of our bills uh, into the. NDAA last year, and uh, it became law, which uh, you know improves uh, the protections uh, that are in place to help stop uh, uh, terrorist organizations from using the uh, international banking system. And so, we're very proud to to have that achievement done on a bipartisan basis. And one of the things that people don't realize, because I guess the news media took. Uh, typically focuses on the points of disagreement, but there are many points of agreement. So there are many times when we're able to bring bipartisan groups together and uh, 
and uh, accomplish things. So that's that's uh, you know certainly something that I would point to that that I think we've accomplished. We've we've also accomplished a lot of the things that we're able to do by by simply prodding the administration or prodding the Congress, the leaders of Congress, through uh, uh, joint letters from members of Congress. And so we have signed on to a lot of those uh, letters, uh, led some of those letters in many cases. And, uh, you know, so so what I would describe as small but significant wins that we're able to achieve from time to time uh, with respect to those uh, initiatives. During this uh, coronavirus pandemic, uh, we've worked with uh, colleagues on both sides of the aisle with respect to the relief that we've been able to provide to small businesses to persuade the Treasury and the SBA to um, change their procedures and their approach to how those loans uh, that they've made, in some cases to our small businesses or other relief measures, have been implemented. And we've achieved some successes, some important successes there as well. As we talk about some of the issues that our nation and our region face, let's stay with COVID for a moment. And uh, the federal government has spent an enormous amount of money. It's one of the things that happens when you're in an emergency. But now, Congressman, how do we find the resolve both in Congress and among the American people to pay off this debt that is growing at a, at a really alarming rate? Well, it is troubling. And, and you know, the there is an old adage that when you find yourself in a hole, uh, the first thing you've got to do is quit digging. And so that's very, very true for this, you know, for where we find ourselves as a country. A lot of people like to talk about uh, reducing the debt, but we can't reduce the debt until we quit uh, increasing the debt. So uh, that's really the first step. And I'm I'm hopeful about that, frankly. I think it can be done, but it it's going to require a concerted effort and a group effort from the, you know, from the population at large, we've all uh, come to expect too much from the federal government, and so if we're going to um, if we're going to get this under control, we've all got to come to understand that the, the federal government can't do everything for everyone, and we've all got to learn to accept less. Uh, and it's a very important first step. You know, when I speak to groups across the district, and I spoke to to uh, two or three yesterday, and I and I get this question often, and that's that's the way I always began uh, talking about it. Uh, and and then we've got to change our mindset, the mindset of the bureaucracy in Washington, and frankly, uh, you know that includes also getting uh, constituents and groups to understand, and members of Congress to understand that we can't just uh, put programs on autopilot uh, and expect that to work out well. So we have way too much of the federal budget that the Congress doesn't visit on an annual basis to consider. Uh, you know, now it's approaching two thirds of the budget that essentially is considered, uh, uh, you know, we don't we don't actually address on an annual basis, the, you know, so-called entitlement programs. And frankly, we have to start looking at them on a regular basis and we have to start treating the money like our state legislature, te- uh, te- you know, treats the money of Tennessee taxpayers. There's a reason why Tennessee has the lowest debt uh, in the country. There's a reason why we have the lowest taxes in the country, and it's because our legislature, uh, you know, spends our money like it was their money, and we've got to adopt that mindset in Washington. I was thinking as you were talking that you know everybody is about. Uh, lowering the debt and decreasing government spending until something that they are interested in is about to get looked at. (laughs) And then you see television commercials and hear radio commercials and newspaper ads. Don't let Congress stop this. And that's on all of us. It really is. We we all have our, uh, you know, sacred cow, so to speak, that we want to protect when it comes to the federal budget, and we've all got to expect less from the federal government. And frankly, if we don't make that decision proactively in the next few years, it will be forced upon us at some point in a in a way that is not, uh, you know, not pretty for the country and not uh, not good for uh, you know our children and their children's children. So we we need to get control over this. We we did it in the in the 1990s, the late 1990s, uh, and and frankly, it was not as difficult as some might have imagined. We've just got to 
we've just got to uh, put in place some, uh, you know, some understanding that we're going to control the rate of increase of the federal budget. And that's all that they did in the 1990s. And then, and then that coupled with a surging economy brought us into surpluses in fairly in a fairly short period of time. It's going to be a little more difficult this time because we've dug the hole deeper in the meantime. But, uh, you know, if we would get control over spending and and limit uh, the increases that we uh, that we take on each year and then, you know, combine that with a thriving economy. And I'm hopeful, you know, the President Trump uh, brought us the the, the best economy in my lifetime, arguably the best economy in the history of the country. And he did that while also uh, negotiating better trade deals around the, the world and securing our border and uh, honoring our uh, commitments and obligations to our treaty partners around the world and, and also bringing home troops. And, and, you know, so we can do that again. We The coronavirus has knocked us off our stride a little but. Uh, we see the recovery going well, particularly here in Tennessee, where we're all the way back down to 6.3% unemployment. We, you know, we started out at 3.3, we went to 15.5, and we're back down to 6.3. So truly, the the V-shaped type recovery that the president has, uh, you know, has indicated he wants to achieve, and I think we're well on our our way to doing that here in Tennessee, and and the country is doing well too. We've just got to get our businesses back open, and our schools back open while also taking the necessary precautions to keep people safe. Let's talk infrastructure, and one only has to drive to Nashville to understand the challenges that growth has as it relates to infrastructure. Do you feel like the the federal government is doing what it needs to do in terms of roads and bridges and highways uh, to to make sure that those things are taken care of? I don't believe we are at all. You know, as I travel, as you describe, on the interstate highway system, and of course we have some projects going on between here and Nashville now, but, you know, most of our interstate highway system, not all, but most of it uh, is is almost as old as I am. I'm 55, and, you know, as a youngster growing up, of course, the interstate highway system was being completed, um, uh, not not all complete, but was largely complete at that time. And much of it has not been enlarged or expanded, uh, you know, in those 55 years. And and if you think back to that time frame, the, the mid-late 1960s, if we had gone back 55 years from 1965, so you do the math there and think about what year that would have been. <laughs> and uh, if we had gone back and if the road system in this country had not changed in that prior 55-year period, imagine what it would have looked like. And and yet we have not made the level of investment we should in our infrastructure over that period of time. And we so we need to make a major investment in infrastructure. Now, we're going to have to pay for that, and folks just need to understand that, Um one of the other mistakes that the federal government has been making is that they haven't been providing adequate funding or an adequate source of revenue to fund infrastructure. And that's part of the reason we haven't been getting the job done. So, um, you know, while uh, none of us like taxes, obviously we need to pay for that. And Tennessee, I think, has shown, again, leadership to the nation by uh, at the appropriate time, stepping up to the plate and adjusting the, the fuel taxes that we have to pay for badly needed infrastructure. And the federal government needs to do, we need to do the same thing. We need to make sure that there are the resources available, and then we need to prudently apply those resources to the to the areas that most need them. And, and so, again, thinking about our interstate highway system, I think we've all found ourselves stuck in traffic at some point on the on the interstate highways and certainly here in the upper cumberland uh you know we need good roads to reach to you know every county of the sixth district uh, there are 19 counties in the sixth district and a number of them do not have adequate uh major transportation routes in and out of those counties and so that's a priority of mine to see that happen and uh have made that clear in washington and we'll work hard to try to achieve that John Rose, another form of infrastructure that, again, has hit us hard as it relates to COVID is broadband access. And sometimes I think we all get complacent in thinking, well, everybody has Internet. And we have seen it through the school systems in the Upper Cumberland that that is not the case, that not everybody has that access. What role does the federal government play as a partner with state governments, local governments, and then also the private sector to try to encourage that? 
Well, you're exactly right, and it is uh, another very important uh, form of infrastructure for our country, and and that has been brought uh, clearly into focus by coronavirus and the the number of uh, uh, students who are you know asked to go home and try to learn from home, and if they don't have an adequate broadband connection, then that makes that very difficult. But but also our business and industry and uh, workers who've been asked to work from home, they need that as well. And so what we've seen is that if if uh, rural Tennessee and Tennessee at large and the country uh, as a whole is going to be successful economically going forward, we've got to make sure that we have in place uh, a plan and programs to make sure that we have broadband uh, you know, cutting-edge broadband infrastructure in place across the country. And we need to – that's not just a one-and-done exercise. We need to make sure that we have in place the, the uh, you know, the, the programs to make sure that we stay at the cutting edge and that's good for the country, it's good for Tennessee, it's good for the 6th District. We don't have that presently. We have kind of a patchwork of programs in place. Tennessee, again, has in some ways led the nation in in – uh, addressing this issue. So in some regards, we're better off than other parts of the country. But we do have, unfortunately, pockets uh, all across the state that still don't have the broadband access that they need. And my my solution to that, I think, is to tear a page out of our history books. Uh, you know, back in the 1930s and 1940s, we organized programs uh, to electrify the country, to bring electricity all across the country, and also to bring telephone all across the country. And it's my belief that if we look at those programs and follow the blueprints that we laid out back then, we could solve this problem and we could all, not only solve it in, the, in fairly short order, but we could put in place a system that would make sure that it was solved uh, going forward. And so the the Federal Communications Commission has uh, what they call the Universal Service Fund uh, that was historically created primarily to help bring telephone services across the country. Unfortunately, we've we added some uh, we added some programs to their mandate uh, to what they do that have distracted them from their I guess core mission, and they've been a little bit slow as well I think to adapt and evolve. And so uh, you know I have been advocating in Washington and uh, you know working with colleagues to try to get legislation in place and to encourage the administration and the FCC to put in place programs that will. Um, you know, that will follow that pattern from the past so that we make sure that we have, uh, you know, a broad-based program in place to bring broadband to everyone. The good news, uh, Mr. Stone, is that here in the 6th District, particularly in our rural areas that are served by our rural telephone cooperatives, uh, are ahead of the game. They've been doing a good job. Uh, Many of them have uh, already built out broadband infrastructure fiber to the home all across their service areas. And the ones that haven't are, are, are in a, you know, making quick work of that. So in the next year or two, we will see a good part of the 6th District of Tennessee uh, with uh, broadband access. Unfortunately, some of the areas like Cookville and, and Crossville that are served by the incumbent telephone companies are some of the areas that uh, unfortunately will be some of the last to get that service. And that's very unfortunate, and it points to the gaps that we see in the patchwork of programs that I described. John Rose, what role does Congress play in law enforcement reform, as uh, has been seen across our nation this year? Well, I think we do have a role to play, although, you know, one of the great strengths of this country has been our system of federalism, where we allow states... uh, uh, you know, to pursue their own course on many issues, and one of those is in the area of criminal justice. So, uh, aside from the thing, the crimes that we federalize, um, uh, you know, the criminal justice and civil justice system are state systems. Uh, the federal government does have a role to play. You know, this country is, uh, and I, it is my belief, is the is the best country in the history of the world in terms of uh, most any measure you might think of, and certainly in the with the measure of freedom, I would say, and and uh, justice, we have done a very good job. But we're not perfect. It's a work in progress. The country is 231 years. The republic is 231 years old, and so we continue to search for ways to make improvements. 
And so I think Congress can, uh, you know, offer assistance by taking a hard look at some of the, uh, uh, you know, practices that are in place and helping to uh, encourage local and state uh, authorities to, you know, to turn, uh, you know, inwardly and, and assess whether or not the practices and procedures they have in place are accomplishing the, the, you know, the goal of providing equal and fair justice to all. I do not believe that we have a, a systemic, uh, a problem of systemic racism in the country. Certainly there are uh, problems, pockets, uh, individuals that uh, you know, that are out there, and that's going to always be true. Uh, and so we need to have programs in place to help identify those things, and we need to call them out when we see them. But uh, we also need to know that our system of justice works. Sometimes it works slowly, but oftentimes, uh, you know, the uh, when we jump to conclusions too quickly, we make the we make the wrong choices. And so we need to give our system of justice time to work, time to to ferret out the facts and 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 apply our laws equally and fairly and when we we see uh, when we get in a hurry and we see sometimes we get anxious and and individuals uh, get a little overwrought about wanting to see instantaneous justice then that's when we see some of the problems emerge and uh, that's not the way our system was built to work it was built on the presumption of innocent for ev- innocence for everyone and there's a system that that works its way and uh, deals with these issues, and oftentimes not as quickly as we would like, but in the end, I think in a fair and balanced manner. And we need to make sure that at the federal level that we're encouraging the states and local governments to uh, to let those systems work and not short circuit them. And and then when we see problems emerge, there, you know, where the federal government can weigh in, you know, we 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 need to either provide assistance or provide encouragement. For complete coverage of election 2020 and the news that matters to you, follow News Talk 94.1 on Facebook and Twitter. If you missed any of tonight's interviews with John Rose, Ralph Reagan, J.H. Graham III, or Scott Shanks, they are available on our website. For complete coverage of election 2020 and the news that matters to you, follow News Talk 94.1 on Facebook and Twitter. Tomorrow night, the candidate, tomorrow night, the Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate. Plus, we'll explore the issue of liquor by the drink in all goods. 